Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And if you want to follow in your pew Bible, it's page 687. And it's on the screen behind me. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning for me. Welcome, uh, my, uh, my welcome to Ashley's, and uh, love to be here on uh, my first joint service. In fact, it's not my first joint service because uh, I was amongst you, but uh, uh, quietly uh, back in uh, June, and uh, I, was, I wasn't even a candidate for the the post then, but uh, came along just to see what you like a little bit. Um, so, in fact, that was my first joint <laughs> service. Um, but that's even before I knew I was going to apply. But uh, so it's not quite my first. But it's great to um, be with both congregations this morning, just trying to get this right, and uh, it's great to ha- have us as a joint service, so it's, it's a really good thing to do, and uh, I think it's a really excellent idea, so well done. Great to see you all. As Ashley said, today is the first Sunday, Sunday of Advent, and the theme is hope. That's the theme that's going to run through my talk, and um, in fact, we want to unpack that theme Uh, throughout this season as we run up to Christmas and indeed as we get into the Christmas season particularly. And as Ursula said, these these invitation cards that we've got got ready to post. Uh, So please do take that invitation to to put them through people's doors. And I think that idea of praying as you do that is a really good one. Uh, Please do do that for the houses and uh, be praying for them as you deliver them. And the title on that, uh, that invitation is Hope Unwrapped. Here we are, it's on the screen. Hope unwrapped. Uh, We want to unwrap the meaning of Christmas. We want to help people to understand what Christmas is about. Uh, People think, obviously, well, they think they know what it's about, but uh, we want to unwrap the meaning. We want to help them to know that Jesus is is the hope of the nations, that Jesus is the hope uh, that's uh, above all hopes. And and so this sermon that I'm preaching this morning is really the first in a series of sermons on that theme of hope and meaning and truth as we celebrate, uh, begin to prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we shouldn't skip past Advent. Sorry, this is uh, slightly annoying me, this thing. 
We shouldn't skip past Advent. We shouldn't just, you know, quickly get through Advent as, as uh, some people want to do. They maybe don't even think about Advent. Uh, but it is actually the beginning of the church year. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Advent marks the beginning of the church year in the seasons. And yet we want to sort of steam through it and get past it and get to Christmas. Um, I was in the local primary school the other day, in Oak Meadow Primary School, the, the school down the road. And um, the, the children I was with, I was in reception. And uh, the reception children, as the youngest ones in the, in the school, I was talking to them about what do they think Christmas is about? What is Christmas about? And not surprisingly, they put their hands up to say, well, I think it's about Father Christmas. Or I think it's about presents. Or I think it's about the, the Christmas tree. Of course they do. They're, they're that age. Uh, probably even grown-ups would say the same. Maybe grown-up Christians would say the same. And we want to be uh, through Advent and get to the excitement of Christmas and get through this season. But it's a bit like uh, a pair of binoculars, uh, which someone has lent to me this morning. Uh, and I don't know if you use binoculars uh, at all, but um, the thing about binoculars is you've got to get them the right way around. You've got to get them uh, pointing in the right direction. So if you have your binoculars uh, the wrong way around, it looks slightly odd. So, in fact, I've got them the wrong way around, and all I can see is a circle with a few people in it, but it all looks really quite bizarre. I can't really see anything. Binoculars are meant to make you see properly or, or clearly or closely when you use them. But I've got these, and all I can see is a sort of a, a distant... I can't really see at all very well. The problem is, of course, I've got them the wrong way around. And so if I put them the right way around and I focus them, I can see you very closely. which may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> but that's, uh, Advent is a bit like that. We, we want to skip past it, we want to get through it, we want to sort of, our focus isn't quite right. And uh, we need to get it right. And the Bible readings these next few Sundays are going to invite us to slow down. Invite us to uh, just sort of take it a little bit not easy, it's not the right word, but to, to get our focus right and to get a bigger picture of the big picture of salvation because the story of salvation is a grand story, it's a huge story, it's a big story. And that is where our reading from Isaiah comes in. Because Isaiah is one of these prophets who helps us to get our focus right, who helps us to get our vision right, who helps us to look in the right way. And Isaiah is one of these amazing prophets in the Old Testament who helps us to see that even though things look bad and things look difficult and things look really uh, down and disheartening, actually God is in control. Actually God is bigger than those problems that look to us big and look to us difficult and look to us as if we can't overwhelm them and overcome them. But Isaiah is one of those prophets who helps us to see in the right way and helps us to see that in fact God is bigger than any of those things and any of those problems that uh, may make us think it's all doom and gloom. Well, with God, it is not. God is in control and the, in the end, he will have the final word. And yet I think it would be true to say that for, for, a, lot of people, for a lot of people in the world today, hope is a word or a, a word of... Uh, a word of hope is in short supply. Uh, people are struggling with all sorts of things, aren't they? 
And you might well get into a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to church, wouldn't call himself a Christian, and they might well say to you, well, okay, you're a Christian, so you tell me where the hope is. I don't know if you ever, ever get into that sort of conversation with somebody, I don't know, in the pub or in the shop or in the office or wherever it is, and they say to you, well, you, you're a Christian, well, you tell me where the hope is. Where can I find hope? Because people have crises uh, again and again, go through crises one after another. And then, of course, you just have to watch the news, and there's all sorts of uh, things about suffering and war and starvation. And we can wonder where hope is. And for the people of Isaiah's day, they were in the same sort of situation as we are. Not exactly the same, but very similar. They had lost their hope at a critical time in their history, in their story as a nation. They were in difficult circumstances. People had turned away from God. People were worshipping idols. People were bowing down to false gods. They had all sorts of superstitions. They had a, a very rebellious streak in them. And they had turned away from God. People were indifferent to spiritual truth. Does that ring any bells with you? It does with me. And so the prophet Isaiah comes on the scene during this time of crisis for the people of God and he has a word of hope, a message of hope for them, a promise of salvation. Isaiah, if you know anything about Isaiah, he is one of the most inspirational of all the prophets, one of the big prophets. He's the most upbeat of them all. We don't know much about him. We know when he lived. He was uh, around in about this, uh, the 6th century B.C., uh, we know he was uh, a prophet who probably, well, we, he would have been a, a prophet in the royal court because we know that from Isaiah chapter 6 because his call happens in the temple. So he must have had access to uh, the, the central inner sanctum of the palace and the temple that was associated with the palace. So he was a very highly regarded uh, man in the temple. And he was also a contemporary of the prophets Amos, Hosea, and Micah. And if you're interested in these sorts of things, uh, if you know your Old Testament uh, well, you'll know that this prophecy in Isaiah 2 matches another one in Micah. So if you look in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, you'll see that this prophecy that we've got in front of us is almost word for word the same as that of Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And so they would have known each other. Uh, one of them may have even, uh, they think, perhaps even heard the prophecy and, and, and put it in their own book. We don't know. But the situation at the time he is uh, speaking this out, the time that this is recorded, is a time of difficulty. I don't know if you know um, ancient Near East politics. I don't know if you're an expert on that. Some of you probably are. Uh, if you know anything about what was going on at the time. Uh, I said it's 6th century. It's actually it's 8th century BC. So it's 800 years before Jesus, in fact, uh, that the Isaiah was uh, around. And at the time, you have these superpowers who are in control of the world stage. And you had a serious, if you could sort of picture where Israel is, you know where Israel is, just by the Mediterranean. And so above Israel, onto the, there, <laughs> to the east, thank you. <laughs> yeah, my geography is not great. So to the east, northeast, you have the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is a massive empire, huge massively powerful um, people. 
And the Assyrians are on the doorstep, they're on the, the frontier, they're on the border of Israel, on the borders of the country, and they're just waiting to get in and to conquer. Now, in fact, I just said the word Israel. In fact, by now, Israel has gone. If you know your history, Israel by this time has disappeared, never to be seen again. The, the tribes of Israel uh, have disappeared. And the only people left are the people of Judah. The people of Judah are the only people left. And Assyria is there waiting and pan- to, to pounce to take them off into exile. So there's the Assyrians up there. And then you've got Israel. And then down there, the southwest of them, you've got Egypt. Egypt, of course, is a well-known empire, isn't it? We know about the Egyptians, the pharaohs. And the Egyptians are also uh, not quite as, as powerful as the Assyrians, but they are pretty powerful. And what some of the people in Judah are saying is that, well, why don't we, instead of uh, being swallowed up by the Assyrians, why don't we go with the Egyptians? Why don't we make a treaty with the Egyptians? And therefore, we will be okay, probably. We might not be swallowed up by them. We'll have a treaty with the Egyptians, so we'll, we'll be okay. We'll survive. And so what's going on in the background is you've got these sort of conversations. We're not going to rely on God. We're going to go with the Egyptians, and we'll be okay. And... Basically, God is saying, that's not the right way to go. In his word, God says, rely on me. I am your salvation, says God. Not the Egyptians. Certainly not the Assyrians. I am your salvation. And so this this is where this this prophecy comes in in Isaiah chapter 2. In the midst of this difficult and dark time of of, of almost being swallowed up and and the other people around them who are trying to take over, uh, Isaiah speaks this oracle, this prophecy of hope of a much better future, a more hopeful future. So let's see how that that works out, shall we? And there are four reasons, I think, four reasons in this passage that Isaiah gives for hope. Four reasons he can say, well, things look bad, but things will not always be like this. And uh, the four reasons are on the screen. And the first reason for hope you'll see in verse 2. And in verse 2, it says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Now, that may not mean very much to you. It may not seem hugely significant, but to, to the ancient Judeans, that was a really important thing to hear. The, the, the significance of this is, of course, that Jerusalem is their center of worship. That's where they go to worship God. That is their center of worship. That's where God's presence is. That's where his presence is promised to be found. And so again and again in the Old Testament, you have prophecies and promises uh, uh, and encouragements to the people to go up to Jerusalem, go up to the city to worship God. In the lectionary readings, this is one of the lectionary readings, uh, one of the other lectionary readings is Psalm 122. And that psalm, a psalm that incidentally is sung at the coronations of British monarchs, uh, says this, part of Psalm 122 says, Jerusalem is built built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Did you hear that? This psalm says, this is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. 
They go up to the temple on Mount Zion, the place where heaven and earth intersect, where they meet. This is where God's presence is to be found, that place of sacrifice, that place of praise, that place of adoration of God. That is where the presence of God is. And so what Isaiah is doing, he's got his his spiritual binoculars out, and thankfully he's got them the right way around. And so he's looking through them, and he can see his focus is correct, and he can see that in the future, that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. That place of worship, that place of praise, that place of sacrifice will be made right. Even though he knows, even though there is trouble, even though the enemy is at the gates, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. That is a reason for hope, he says to the people. Secondly, he says, don't lose hope, don't lose heart, because he goes on to say in verse 2, it will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. So this city, the city that is built on the Mount, Mount Zion, it's called, the city where God's presence dwells, the city where people go to worship, Isaiah says that this, mount, this hill, this mountain, will be exalted above the, above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now again, if you know the geography of Israel, if you know the geography of Jerusalem particularly, you'll know that the city of Jerusalem itself lies on a hill, it is called Mount Zion, but in fact it's not as high as the hills around it. It's actually lower than the other hills. And so Isaiah is saying that this somehow or other, this, this mount of, the Mount Zion will be lifted up, exalted, so that it's higher than the others around it. Now, I don't think he's saying that it's going to geographically move, topographically move. It's not going to happen like that. But symbolically, spiritually, it will be lifted up. And so again, he's got his binoculars out, and he's looking through them, and he can see this mountain of uh, Israel, the Mount Zion, and he's looking through them into the future, and again, he can see that this, this hill that is not as high as the others will be lifted up. And again, he's saying, it looks difficult, it looks desolate at the moment, but there is hope. A day is coming when the Messiah will come, and salvation will be available to all, even the Gentiles, he says. That mount of the Lord will be so prominent, so raised up, that people will stream to it. Without force, without coercion, they will just want to come to the mountain where the Lord's temple is found. They will want to come. So why? Why will they want to come? That's the third thing he says. Why will they want to come to the city of Zion where God's holy presence is? Well, he tells us. He says, He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so people will want to come because they want to know God's ways. They will want to learn how to be holy. They will want to learn his ways and they will want to walk in them, says Isaiah. They will want to drink in his teachings. They will be so thirsty that they will want to know his way, know his teachings, know his law. Does anybody know what it says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33? Just testing your knowledge of Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 33. It's a lovely verse, a great verse to memorize. And again, it's where God promises to do a new thing in our lives. It says in that verse, I will put my law within them, 
and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will give their, forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, one to remember. So that's the promise that Isaiah has already given them. It's the promise that Isaiah foretells here that people will be drawn to know God, drawn to understand his ways, drawn to live out his ways in their lives. So that's the third reason, that they will want to know his ways. And the fourth reason, the last reason he gives for having hope is this wonderful promise, which you'll see in verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. That is a wonderful promise, a wonderful prophecy of hope, if ever I've heard one. In the midst of the war, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the turmoil that the people of Judah are going through, and dare I say it, for for us now, as we know the news, as we've heard what's going on uh, with America. Now, I'm going a little bit into politics, so forgive me, but we I don't know about you, but I'm a bit worried about it. Uh, Far-right politicians who are about to assume the command of the most powerful nation on earth. That's my view, but you may have a different view. But there will, says God, be be peace and harmony in the future. Because disputes, all disputes, all difficult things will be settled. All these disagreements will be settled. All will be gathered together in in the presence of the Messiah who will judge fairly and justly with love and mercy for everyone. Not only that, he says the most wonderful thing they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so what he's saying is the weapons that they use, the swords and the spears, will be changed, will be molded into different things, into tools of hope, tools of peace, tools uh, for the good of people. Not war, not hate, but for productiveness, for good things. And so you'll see, uh, if you've ever, not that I've ever been there, but um, outside the United Nations building in New York, there's a sculpture, there's this actual verse etched on a wall outside of the United Nations building in New York. And you've also got a sculpture uh, that someone has made to show this verse, beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so four reasons to hope, four reasons to have hope, four reasons to hold on to hope in the midst of difficulty. Firstly, the presence and the power of God will be known. Secondly, people will stream to that place of worship. Thirdly, people will want to know God's way and live in in his way. And finally, there will be peace between the nations and peoples of the world. Wow. What a taste of the kingdom of God. The coming kingdom of God. But I wonder how people received that message. I wonder how they heard it. I wonder whether they received it and thought, yes, I want to receive that. Yes, I understand that. Yes, I I believe that. Yes, I want to receive that 
into my life. How do you receive that message of hope, I wonder? As we are here at the beginning of Advent in 2016, I imagine some of the people around and about in Isaiah's day would have said, well, no, that'll never happen. It'll never be like that. He must be dreaming. There's always going to be war. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be fighting. Things will never change. And some of us on a bad day might even say the same thing. Sometimes we refuse to believe that message. Sometimes we refuse to hear that message of hope. And we say, things will never be better for me. This is the way it's been for a long, long time. My health will never improve. My job situation will never change. My family will never change. And so on and so on. But in this season of Advent, God's message to us is about hope, just as much as it was for the people back then in Isaiah's time. How do I know that? How do we know that God's rule and God's reign will be firmly established on this earth one day? Well, the reason is simple, because of the coming of Jesus. The only plan for peace that will last for eternity is the one brought about by the Prince of Peace. Jesus will make this world safe from the forces of darkness. Jesus the one is the one who will bring peace and security to our worlds. How do I know that? Because Isaiah has another promise, and you'll probably recognize it. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isaiah, as I said, he's one of those upbeat prophets. Again, he's painting a picture of what the world is going to be like, a picture of the future overflowing with joy and hope and peace. He says the future is not to be feared, not to be dreaded. No, it's something to be excited about. This is something that God is going to bring about, God is bringing about in a wonderful and surprising way. But you might say to me, well, that's hard to believe. That's difficult to believe. But God's word says in Psalm 42, verse 5, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. The subject of that sentence is you. You put your hope in God. Do you remember what that word, that word established that uh, we thought about briefly? That word established in our reading. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. And that word established is like an anchor. An anchor that holds you firm in the midst of trouble. It is secure. It's unshakable. It's there in spite of not knowing all the details. And so if you are out of a job, you know that God knows the details. And your part is to trust him and wait for the answer. If your health is not the best in the world, trust God for healing even when the pain persists. Now, I can say that, and I really don't want to sound uh, trivial by saying that, because it is really difficult. But the word says, put your hope in God. If your children or grandchildren are far from God, remember that God works 
behind the scenes. Psalm 42, verse 5. Put your hope in God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Having hope in God doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change overnight. But what does Romans 12, 12 say? Wonderful verse. Romans 12, 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We may go through tough times, but God promises never to leave us or forsake us. So what do you need to do right now? What do you need to do right now? How are you going to respond to this word? Because this word, as it's preached, is going out to do something in our lives. It's not there just to be listened to and say, well, that was really nice, thank you, vicar. It's there for you to respond to, to act upon, to do something about What is God saying to you at this time? He might be saying any number of things. As you've heard about this word, to take hold of hope. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. But some of you might need to go a step further than just hearing it and and, and receiving it. Some of you might need to go a step further and act on it. And have that conversation with God, even now, in your heart maybe out loud. And so I'm giving you an invitation to respond. And some of you may not want to do this. Some of you might say, yes, I want to do it. But I'm going to invite John to come up and to play some, some songs or a song. And as that song is played, we're going to join in the worship. But you may just want to receive prayer for something. And so the invitation will be for you to come up. And by coming out of your seat, an invitation is made to act on a word that you've heard. And that can feel a little bit daunting because you may not think, oh, I don't want to move. But in fact, this is a place of worship. It's a place of freedom. It's a place to receive prayer ministry. So if you want to receive prayer, there's a few people around who will very, very happily pray for you and with you as this song is played. And what happens is, as we respond, what God does, he seals that word in our hearts. He seals that change that we want to make. He seals that promise that he has put out through his word and he seals it in our lives when we take that word seriously so if you want to do that just come out when you're ready and people will pray for you as we worship don't be afraid God is here to bless you to be with you so let me just end with a prayer and then then we'll sing Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is eternal. Thank you that your word is spoken through Isaiah, has meaning, has power for his day, and it has meaning and power for our day. And thank you that as we receive your word in our lives today, that you want to change us. You want to bring about that hope in our lives. And look, we may be feeling uncomfortable with the idea of responding. We may be feeling as if that's the best thing in the world. Lord, help us to be free in our response. Help us to receive from you all that you want to do in our lives today. And we bless you in Jesus' name.